Welcome to Desire Made Real, a discovery of witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler free. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I am planning and prepping for my new podcast that's going to be coming this spring called Movie Fight Club. I will, of course, always be rooting for your corner. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about a discovery of witches, I'm trying desperately not to plan a new podcast, because I don't think I have time for that, but also I really want to do a specific one. I don't know. Uh. Well, you could be like me and just retire one so you can start another one. Yeah. But you yeah. don't want to do that either. You just want to keep doing all the ones you're doing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. I understand. Anyways, so each week here, we'll recap the episode spoiler-free. We'll also include a segment at the end to discuss the books, how well the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers here. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get there. Episode 10, the last episode of season two, oh my god, was written by Susie Conklin and Pete McTie and directed by the classic at this point, Farron Blackburn. Indeed. It kind of seems fitting that he would you know, direct the finale when he did do so much. Yeah, he season. seems to have been, like, the head director of the season. I don't I don't know. Yeah. And like I said, because this is our final episode, which seems to have come up really quickly, even though when I look back on it, not really. I don't know. It's very strange. I'm a little sad. Um, we've got some housekeeping about our future. Sounds very intense. Um, <laughs> just that once we're done this episode, we're going to take about a two-week break from a regular episode in order, well, because of the way that we record. And if you, and then we're going to do a big wrap-up episode where we're going to address any emails and questions. And if there's anything you want us to talk about that we didn't talk about, please tweet or email us. Or any corrections that we didn't yet address, uh, please tweet or email us. And between now and then, hopefully there will be a bonus episode with our science expert. Yay, I love bonus episodes with our science expert. I wish that we had had more sciencey things to have her talk about this season, but hopefully we can go back to a regular segment in season three. Well, not to jump the gun on what we're going to be talking about in our wrap-up episode, but they did announce the casting for Chris, which does imply a lab. Yes, yes, it does. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Um, But we're not there yet. We're still talking about the season finale. So... Mandy, did you like this episode? I didn't not like it. Okay, okay. It it was very lackluster for a season finale. There wasn't a ton of action. It was a lot of exposition and saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I expected oh. from a season finale. Because, I mean, like the season one finale was very frenetic and high-paced and are they going to make it or not? Right. right. And this one was just kind of very laid back and setting up a lot of things for season three, but not really. I don't know. It wasn't a heavy episode and I wanted it to be a heavy episode. That's fair. I, I mean, I did mention last week that or episode nine was kind of the, the climax of the season. And then episode yeah. 10 was like an epilogue kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that is very much the feeling I get from it. Yes, that's a really good way to describe it. So I enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I did not like it, but it, it certainly isn't my favorite of the season. Right. I think, I honestly think this season works better as a binge than a week to week. Because if you're watching it all at once, um, I don't know how to describe what I'm saying. 
but it it feels like a complete story to me is mm-hmm. i guess all the episodes together and therefore i don't mind that there's not a big thing that happens at the end yeah and i like i mean there is a big thing that happens but it's it is it doesn't end on a cliffhanger and i like when a complete story does not end on a cliffhanger because in fact nothing makes me angrier than when it does well cuz then it's not a complete story exactly yes um so I, I kind of, I like how it's ended this season, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I just rambled for like five minutes there, but I don't know if I got my point. Yeah, I mean, it, it ties up this part of the story in a tidy bow, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that is nice. Absolutely. Um, I think you're right because I did watch, I didn't binge. I yeah. did watch this episode by episode and I think you're right it lends itself to binging because of the complete story it's there are no episodic elements at all yeah and yeah I hadn't really thought about that and kind of put that together but I think you're absolutely right because of the way they chose to tell the story it's more like one very long movie yeah than 10 individual episodes yeah for sure um, yeah, so let's, let's just dive right in. So we start off with uh, Diana doing some magic. And before we really get into the scene here, I just want to say, A, she's wearing this silver dress, which is, I, is probably my least favorite of her dresses. Like, I really don't like it, but it does look really fucking amazing on her. Like, mm-hmm. the silver really looks good on her. And I like that a lot. And also, this is the final episode, and Diana just gets two brand new dresses that must have taken them forever to make. And I just enjoy that strange attention to detail that this season has yeah when i saw the silver dress my first thought was wow they gave her a new dress and then i was like wait did they because it's styled very much the way her first dress was with the like the pointy corset thing but Mm. then i realized no it's silver it's definitely a new dress yeah and then the second dress she wears this episode we haven't seen before either and i'm just like this is this is a choice that you guys have made with these dresses I wonder if they did that to try and showcase the passage of time. Maybe, but also I think it confuses the passage of time because how long was her dad here, really? Like, did he spend a night? I think it Yeah, doesn't... I think it was like a day. <laughs> but it, the way that her day is made up if he didn't spend a night makes no sense because that means she went to Goody Allsop, came back, and then went back to Goody Allsop. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I like to think that he spent the night and Diana just wore the dress two days in a row, but I don't know. Anyways, we're not there yet. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Magic. Tying knots. Yeah. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. (laughs) We get a bunch of cuts between Diana working on her knots and Matthew talking about constellations with Matthew. I mean, with Jack. And it's so cute. It is cute. I love it so much. And then as a family, they go stargazing in London, which as Diana says, that is magical. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't cloudy. It's always cloudy in London. Well, then they wouldn't have had the wonderful, you know scene with them stargazing so nice i just love and, the little cute family scenes that are in this episode yeah they did a, certainly did a lot more in this one um trying to set up that emotional impact of of leaving jack behind if uh, i have something that i really want to talk about about that but we're gonna do it in the spoilers because okay that's the only way it'll work yep all right so then diana fails not nine mm-hmm. and she apologizes, and Goody also just kind of says, well, that's okay. Oh, by the way, another weaver has arrived in London. Which I hate that they reminded us in the previously on that her dad was a weaver, because it's like, oh, obviously. Yeah. You know, if that hadn't been there, 
It would have been much more of a surprise. Yeah. Or maybe you still would have gotten it, obviously, especially if you've read the book, obviously. But I I don't know. I just hate when they do that. Mm -hmm. They give it away so early. Yeah. Opening credits, as always, and we cut back to present day. Agatha, Nat, and Sophie have arrived at Sator. It's a big party now. Um, Well, it's not quite complete because then we have Marcus and Phoebe in the car driving. Because Marcus is taking Phoebe there, which I think is amazing. I love that Phoebe is driving because mm-hmm. it did kind of, um, I feel like at the end of season one, we talked about when they're heading towards the Bishop house, Diana is driving. And we talked about how we found it surprising that Matthew would let her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were going to Diana's home, so it kind of made sense. But then here we have Phoebe driving to Marcus's home. And so mm-hmm. Marcus is just like, no, I don't, I don't drive. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just think that's funny. It doesn't surprise us here. Like, Marcus totally would not be threatened by his morning yeah, driving. Exactly. Um, I love when they get there. Marcus is so proud to introduce her to Isabeau and the way, like, the look on he face when he calls her my partner. Yeah. They're it's so cute. adorable. And I love that she's so welcoming to Phoebe. Mm-hmm. And it's just such, such growth for Isabeau. Yeah. So, like, from the beginning of the season to now, like, when Sarah and Em got there and she was very standoffish and cold and just like, well, you're here because you have to be. And I told Matthew I'd take care of you to hear mm-hmm. actually welcoming these people into her home. Yeah. It's so different. I love it. And also just like if you compare that with her saying hello to Diana last season, mm. the first time one of her one of her family brought home a, a non-vampire love interest, at least within mm-hmm. the story. It's just so different. And she, she is so different. And I like it a lot. Yeah. And then we're back to 1591. And we go to a bookshop because why not? I love Diana just walking in and very loudly saying, hello. I don't know. It just seemed very anachronistic to me. Anachronistic? Mm. Anachronistic. Whatever. And very, very Diana. Very out of time, which I liked. Yep. I I just love that she wants to buy Jack a book because his book was stolen last episode. His book was stolen. So she gets him a new one. And then Matthew's face when he says, I smell coffee is so great. It's like, what is this wonderful nectar that I miss from 400 years ago? In the future, not ago. You know what I mean. Yes. And that's funny. And I love how he just like chases this dude down and is ready to murder him. Yeah, that is interesting because he's not necessarily a bad person just because he's a time walker. Like, why? Oh, well, I assume they think it's somebody coming after them from Mm, the congregation. that, That would be my first thought, too. Yeah, because coincidentally, yeah. why would another time walker appear where they are? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But then when Diana says dad, he's immediately like, ooh, take back the murder. Yeah. Yeah, I love how he accepts Stephen right away. Yeah. You know, but he is Diana's father, and so they're going to let him in, talk secrets, just trust him right away. It's I, I like that. Me too. I also like versus the book. Well, in the book, Diana always called her dad, Daddy, which is just not, I would not have enjoyed watching that happen. I'm glad they just have her say dad. Okay. All right. Um, I like the next scene when they're all sitting down talking and Matthew hands Stephen a drink and says, I think we all need one of these and Mm -hmm. then goes to hand one to Diana and is like, oh, no, you can't have alcohol. This whole scene is quite possibly my favorite in the whole season. I just, it's, I don't know why. I just love that it's, it's cute. It's got good acting. I love that Jack comes in and it's just very clear that they're 
a family. And mm-hmm. even before that, when they're sort of talking and then Matthew just kind of casually asks about how stuff, how the ninth knot is going and Diana answers. And it's just very clear that they have this life together here. Mm-hmm. And it comes across so good. And I love watching Stephen watching them. And I don't know why, but I just love this scene so much. It is nice to get a scene that's just kind of routine and mundane when, yeah. you know, we've we've been fighting with Edward Kelly and Mad Rudolph and mm-hmm. worried about the Queen and being kidnapped by Kit and Louisa. You know, it's just a nice, relaxing family scene. Yeah. Yep. It makes me so happy. And then we find out why Stephen is there. Uh, he tries to lie and say, well, I'm an anthropologist. I'm here to observe. And Matthew and Diana are both like, no. So um, he reveals that he is there looking for Ashmole 782, to which Diana gets really excited because they have it in the house. Yeah, I love when she turns to Matthew with the little grin, just as Stephen's saying that he's looking for Ashmole 782, and that she's just like, we have it. It's fine. It's good. But of course, he has gotten there too late as well. The book has already been torn. Mm -hmm. But we do find out that the page that they had... Um, arrived out of the blue. They don't know who sent it to them, but it was postmarked Jerusalem. Yes. So they assume Rabbi Lowe has something to do with that. Mm-hmm. And this is another scene that I, I enjoy because once they, they have the book and they've sort of repositioned themselves on the table, Matthew has like ostracized himself to a dark corner because mm-hmm. of course he has. And then I don't know what this choice was, but Matthew Good is using like all of the powers of his voice while just having this mundane conversation about a book. And, like, he'll whisper and be menacing, but he's just saying, The DNA that it contains could hold many answers. Its importance goes beyond mere research. Powerful creatures are looking for it. Like, what? You're just chatting. What is happening here? (laughs) They had to remind the audience the gravity of the situation. Yeah, it's just an interesting choice. Then we go to Gerber and Peter. And what's probably... One of my favorite lines from the the episode is in this scene. Okay. Is it fetch? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote that down too. Yeah, Jerbear taunting Peter. You know, he's like, it's going to take a powerful witch to find the pages. And Peter's like, I'm not your hunting dog. And Jerbear just says, fetch. And I'm like, yeah. I hate you both, but I kind of root for Jerbear over Peter. Oh, yeah, because Jerbear is just a bit of an ass. Peter is an evil monster. He is, absolutely. Like, Jerbear just wants power, and Peter... I mean, Peter wants power, too, but he wants to do evil things with it. Yeah, it it is different. Like, Jerbear wants power, but the way that Peter wants power just seems more... Malicious? Not malicious. Insidious? I can't think of the word. I... Like, I feel like Peter is willing to do worse things to people... But we'll mm-hmm. also tell everyone that vampires would do worse things than witches. Yes. You know? And uh, I actually think, okay, I know we don't talk about the book too much in this, but a scene in the book that he has, I think, describes why I hate him so much perfectly. And that he thinks to himself, well, I'm not going to kill this dude because a vampire, or like a vampire would, but I am just going to release this blood clot so that he has a stroke and dies here in the basement by himself. I'm like, no, you just fucking murdered him, actually. You know, like, but he convinces himself he's not evil. That's what I don't like about him. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I know that's good. So, I mean, luckily, it's a quick scene. And we go back to Diana, Stephen, and Matthew. And Stephen and Matthew are not getting along. 
Oh, no. Stephen is, like, straight up scolding Matthew, and I love it. I like it, too. And I can't help but think of Stephen going home to Rebecca and being like, well, I have some news. (laughs) Well, I mean, but but he already knew. Rebecca had already seen Matthew at that point because Stephen asks... This is your this is your vampire, I take it, because Rebecca had saw it. Yeah, sorry, I I meant more like, hey, I met them. Oh, <laughs> you know, I yeah. talked to okay. her like Diane is what four or something right now. I talked to yeah. her adult daughter and her vampire husband. <laughs> like, it's just got to be weird. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, Stephen brings up some great points in in this scene. You know, he's scolding them for how long they've been there because they had to have changed history because they've inserted themselves into it. Mm-hmm. By adopting a child, like stealing the book from Rudolph, um, and so then he just starts to insist you, you can't take the book with it, with you when you go back. Like you have to go back and you have to leave the book. And Diana is super not on board with that, but he apparently gets through to them. I enjoy that the potential changing of history doesn't really seem to matter to Diana, a historian. That's funny. Um, but uh, but what sort of does seem to get through to her is when he says you can't time walk with a powerful magical object you you don't understand, and I can see where that might get through to her because who knows where they could end up or mm-hmm. what could happen. Yeah, yeah. See, she's still struggling with her magic, so yeah. absolutely. And then I think we're back to present day and mm-hmm. one big happy creature family. Yeah, I like this scene. It it is the first time we have seen. Sator look warm and inviting. Yeah. Like it's, the whole well, in modern day. I would say it looked and, warm and inviting during the wedding. Yeah, yeah, I meant in modern day. Um and even like the vampires are at the table at least drinking wine. Yeah. If not eating nuts and berries, I don't know. But uh they're all there talking about creature politics. Um I'm curious how you felt about this scene because they do talk about why Philippe created it. They don't go into detail created the covenant Mm -hmm. marcus wants to repeal it and he talks about kind of how philippe created it to protect creatures but now it's not protecting them anymore and so it needs to be changed and i'm just curious if that helped you at all understand philippe or if you're still on this philippe never would have done that bullshit philippe never would have done that bullshit okay okay i mean if they gave us a reason why yeah, they didn't get specific other than it was created to keep us safe. Yeah. And now it's not. Well, they do talk about how, you know, they want to keep creatures apart because seeing them all together makes humans notice them. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's the only really thing that's talked about. Mm-hmm. And I just, I would think that would be more of a problem now than it would have been a thousand years ago. Yeah. So maybe. I, especially since A, they're more of dying out now. And or or at least they know that that's a problem now and all that sort of thing. So I like I obviously I'm on Marcus's side here. They should definitely repeal the covenant. It is stupid. But nobody really talks about why exactly it was put into place other than this vague notion that humans will notice them and presumably kill them. But I mean, they're vampires and and witches. They can they can stop that from happening, presumably. Right. Yeah. Especially if they're not trying to hide who and what they are. So I don't know. I think that that's a larger problem with with the story, not just the TV show. Okay. But I still don't think Philippe ever would have done that just because he he likes a he likes, you know, stirring the pot. Mhm. And he he remembers when this wasn't a thing. You know, when when creatures did interact and 
when there were more creatures to interact with. So I, I just don't believe that about him. Okay. I mean, I guess I can believe it about show Philippe, but I have all this information about book Philippe in my head that I can't, I can't really separate. Yeah, that makes sense. The one thing that I really noticed in this scene that I found very distracting was Miriam's eyebrows. She's the biggest, most like, I can't, what, what is the word? Most shaped eyebrows I've ever seen on a human person. Like, they look great. I'm not, this is not a problem. But they were like, whoa, eyebrows. I didn't even notice. I envy you not noticing. Because anytime <laughs> she's on screen, I was like, oh my God. I Well, I also didn't notice her being on screen super often either. So maybe I mean, that's just why. She had like one line. Yeah, she agreed with Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Here in this in this moment. Um, I think maybe I didn't notice it because right after that is when Phoebe speaks up. And yeah. I love this moment because she just met all of these people. She just learned about this world. And she's choosing to insert herself into this conversation in support of Marcus and kind of what he wants to do with the world. And I think that's like incredibly brave of her. Yeah, she's she's really great in the scene. And she has this great line where she says, um, segregation, discrimination, we need to evolve if we want to survive. And I love any time a story that was written years ago can really point out how the problems that it was dealing with are still problems. Like, mm-hmm. like we haven't moved on at all. And maybe we should. Yeah. and And not in a hit you over the head with it way. Like it, it fit the conversation. It was exactly what needed to be said there. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she has another one of those lines in the next scene with Isabeau. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's great. Yeah. And then she finishes it up with them. It seems obvious that the only way forward is together. And then Isabeau gives her a little look of approval Mm -hmm. and it's really good. And I love them. I want Mm -hmm. them to be best friends. Which means you probably really loved the next scene because it's Isabel mm-hmm. and Phoebe. Yes. And Phoebe, Phoebe is sitting in Philippe's chair, which is just like a little, it's just a little Easter egg from the books that I love. Yeah. And uh, I love, she's geeking out. I yeah. mean, she's a historian. Yeah. She's like an art historian or like an antique historian. And so she's geeking out about all the things in the house, the collection of books and the furniture. And it's great. And so Isabeau tells her, snoop away, go look at everything. I'm so excited for Phoebe and Diana to be friends. God, I hope they have some good scenes next season. They will definitely get along together, I think. Um, Isabeau takes the moment to impress upon Phoebe just how much trust Marcus has placed in her. Mm -hmm. And Phoebe acknowledges it and she understands it. And, you know, Isabeau's trying to kind of like suss her out a little bit. Like, this is probably really overwhelming for you being the only human in a house full of creatures. And Phoebe has that line. Um, She says humans have so much potential, but our capacity to hate and discriminate, well, that scares me more than any of this. Mm -hmm. And that right there is everything Isabeau needs to know about her. I love them both. (laughs) And then Marcus comes in like, "Um, I hope you're not going to kill each other. Yep. But everything's fine. Yeah. She tells Marcus, you've made an excellent choice. It's great. Um, And then also tells him that he's right. And honestly, Philippe would probably do what he's trying to do because Philippe always adapted and evolved and stood for what was right. And she believes that Philippe would stand for what Marcus is trying to stand for now. Yeah. I thought that was a good scene too, like giving Marcus some of that approval that 
he hasn't really had, particularly since he found out about the blood rage. Yes. And then Isabel has a speech about grief turning to action, and she looks really intense. Was that in this scene? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, because Marcus, Marcus says, says he, misses him. he misses Philippe. And, yeah. and then we're back to 1591. And are. Matthew tells Galloglass that he and Diana are leaving. But, like, she hasn't completed the ninth knot yet. So. Soon. Like, Matthew's jumping the gun there, I think, to start <laughs> telling people that they're leaving. I don't know. I would feel very pressured if I was Diana. <laughs> he has faith in her ability to complete it. I guess. I like in the scene that Galaglass tells, like, straight up tells Matthew that he prefers future Matthew. Yeah, that's so nice. <laughs> to the old one he's going to get back. I guess Galaglass has something to look forward to in the future then. Yeah, 400 years in the future. It would be so interesting, like, if I were Galaglass, I would not be able to leave Matthew alone because I would just want to watch him turn in. Like, I'd want to see how he evolves into this completely, well, not completely different, but into this different person. Yeah. Because that must be so interesting to know the result before it happens and to be able to watch it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time is is such a strange thing, like time travel. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, particularly in the way a few things played out in this episode where Susanna gets the chess piece from Diana. Yeah. Like, I feel like all of these things always happened and were always going to happen. So Gallo Glass did get to see Matthew turn into. Yeah this person having known from the beginning what he was going to be. And although it's hilarious to me that they they make sure that Ma- uh, that Diana gives not Sophie the chess piece, but then they just completely forget about how the earring got into the bishop house. Mm, yeah. So that was funny. Well, I mean, they got one of them, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we go back to Diana and Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just kind of walking and gabbing and catching up. And we find out Stephen is self-taught and never actually learned the knots that Diana is learning, which is interesting to me. Which might be the first like hint that we got that Diana is actually going to create a spell sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I'm still pissed about that. I do like how Diana is being really, really like proud of herself here and, and wants to show off to her dad about what she can do with her magic now. Mm-hmm. And it's just really cute and probably exactly how somebody might be. They hadn't seen their dad in 20, 25 years or whatever it's been. Yeah. Um, she's still struggling with the, with the final knot. And Stephen asks if she's afraid of it. And mm-hmm. Diana's like, no, you should see what I do with my magic. I'm not afraid. Yeah. Um, so then Stephen's like, mm, well, something is going on. Is it desire? Do you not want to finish this? Because when you do, you have to leave. Yeah. Like, there's some straight-up psychology that he's pulling on her there. I don't know. I'm on Diana's side. Just stay. It'll be less complicated. <laughs> right. Just you and Matthew and Jack. Oh, and yeah. I guess she is pregnant, so there's that, too. Um, so they go back to Diana and Matthew's house, and Goody also is there waiting for them, much to Diana's surprise. She knew that Diana had found the other weaver, and so she showed up to talk to him to find out who he that's was. That's what happened? Yeah, I didn't pick up on that until the second episode, but that's why they were doing the, um, sorry, the second time I watched it, but that's why they were doing the spell practicing in that courtyard area that we were confused about earlier in this oh season. This and Matthew was there watching. so much more sense. Yeah, so at first I thought Diana was taking Stephen to Goody Alsop's house. That's and what I, was like, I this- thought. I was like, this doesn't make sense. And this time I caught the look on her face when they walked in and Diana was surprised and delighted to see her there. I was like, oh. 
I was like, okay, so that's what I was saying earlier about how I thought she went back to Goody Allsop's. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So he must have stayed the night. So I guess he didn't. And they only got a couple hours together. So that does suck. But I was just, I have this whole note written here about how, why would they have gone to Goody Allsop and then taken her back to the courtyard and then left her to walk home alone afterwards? Like that makes, I mean, it still makes no sense (laughs) that they left her to walk home, home alone afterwards. But oh my God, thank you. I feel so much better. Oh, good. <laughs> um, this time, Diana learns the ninth knot because both Stephen and Goody Alsop are coaching her and helping her. Yes. Um, and Goody Alsop is like, your hus- your your father is very wise, Diana. Listen to him. I do think it's like, I like the scene with them doing magic in the courtyard, but isn't that risky? Could someone not just be watching from a window or come out? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Matthew's standing there watching them. Yeah. I do like that when she gets it, he gets this like little little proud smile on his face. Yeah. Very cute. Yep. And then Stephen brings them all down by saying some kitchen, some witches will kill for that kind of power. Aww. And immediately realizes he said the wrong thing. And Goody encourages Diana to tell her truth to him. She says there's no reason to hold it back. Um, and she kind of freaks out a little bit, doesn't want to tell him because she's afraid of changing things. But at the same time, she wants to change things. Mm-hmm. But he already knows that their time together is going to be short, even though he doesn't know exactly what happens. I have a question, though. Okay. If you were with someone and you knew that having a child with them would ultimately lead to your death, would you maybe just not have kids? I I don't know. Like, would you maybe just make some different life choices? I mean, did he know that at the time that they had Diana? Or did they find it realize, seems like Rebecca sees a lot, yeah, but we don't know when. So maybe she maybe saw not it. even Steven, but maybe like Rebecca. Like, why would you not just make different life choices? I don't maybe know. She just wanted a child that badly. Some people do, but you're not even gonna watch them grow up. You're gonna have a kid and then you're gonna die. I think for some people that's a choice that they would make. I don't get it, but sure. I mean, I'm glad we have the story. So obviously, I'm glad Rebecca and Steven went on with that, but. Or even, like, have a kid, but then, I don't know, move to the North Pole. You know, like, (laughs) what are you doing? Make different choices if you know what's going to happen by making these choices. Maybe it's still going to happen. I don't know, but maybe not. I mean, I think they did try to make different choices. That's why they they chose to bind Diana. I guess. I just don't feel like having one kid is worth two people dying. That's me. Moving on. (laughs) He tells them that... They all need to make peace with the future. Um, he knows about the baby. He's proud of her. He's going to tell Rebecca all about it. And then he leaves. It's too bad. They had like two weeks together in the book. But I understand they had to speed things up for the show. Yeah. And it was a good scene. And then Diana and Matthew talk about Jack and what's going to happen. Oh, wait. Before leaves. that, sorry. Just when Steven's walking away, I do love that Diana kind of just follows after him for a bit and it's very similar to the way Matthew did after Philippe gave him the fibula and then left the room and I just love Mm. that they both got this really good dad closure yeah 500 years in the past when they weren't necessarily looking for it and it's yeah it's just really good it is nice I mean good relationships done well is is nice to see in fiction yeah uh we find out that Matthew has made arrangements for Jack to stay with Henry Percy after they leave Mm mm-hmm um, and then once he becomes of age, he'll be able to apprentice in a trade and it's a better life than he ever would have had if he hadn't met Diana and Matthew. But Diana is still worried about him and is afraid that if he lives with humans, he's not going to be taken care of. Okay. I wasn't going to bring this up to the spoilers because the, the actual answers are spoilers. 
But leaving the actual answers aside, why don't they even talk about just bringing Jack with them? He's young. He could adapt. Nobody, like, he's not anybody important to, you know, to anybody other than than Matthew and Diana. Why don't they just bring Jack to the future? Why don't I, they even I talk about it? don't know the answer to that. <sighs> Bothers me so much. <laughs> Carry yeah. on. I mean, I know reasons, but yeah, like, no, I yeah, specifically, but... I in in the moment, I I don't know, unless it's something where she's not sure she's strong enough to take two other people when she struggled to get one. Right. Okay, I could believe that, but they don't even bring it up. Yeah, it probably would have been better if they had at least had the conversation and like verbally said the reasons why they couldn't. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure why Diana is so worried about him, especially if he's going to be raised by Henry Percy when they leave. Well, it sounds like Henry Percy isn't so much going to be raising him as that he's just going to be like an employee. Mm, Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So she decides to do something about it. Yes. And she meets with Hubbard. Yep. In secret, she goes to see Father Hubbard. Kind of bold because Galloglass takes her, but Galloglass doesn't know. She just sends him away. Yeah, this worked out a little differently in the book so that it made a little bit more sense, I feel. But I honestly, I don't remember mm-hmm. that well. But I mean, Galloglass looked a little iffy, so yeah. I don't know. So she asks Father Hubbard to take care of Jack as if Jack was his child. But why would he um, have any idea who Jack even is? Like she just says Jack. And Hubbard I mean, says, Father Hubbard knows everything that goes on with people. With creatures. Life. Jack is just a regular human dude. But he lives in a house of creatures now. Sure. And he's constantly with Francois and Pierre, so that, that doesn't surprise me. I guess. I guess. Um, Father Hubbard is like, you're not even one of my children. Why would I do anything for you? So she says, well, what if I was? And then gives him a drop of blood. Matthew would freak the fuck out. Yeah. I get, like, obviously I get why they kept the scene. It's an important scene. But they kept a lot of the same lines from the book, but taking them, but took out a lot of the other things that happen. And the lines just make no sense without these other things that happen. And it's very strange for me. Okay. What's, what are you finding very strange? Well, she says, what is blood uh, if not fire and water? What does that have to do with anything? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it makes sense because she does something in the book. But why? <laughs> yeah, that line didn't make sense here. I, I half expected when she said it, something to happen. Like, is her blood going to burn him? Like, what? And then no, nothing happened. Exactly. So it, it was an odd, yeah, it was an odd, odd sentence for sure. So, but she gives him the blood. He learns they're time walkers, sees kind of some of the stuff that happens in the future, knows that her name is Diana Bishop. And agrees to take care of Jack. So she goes on her way. And also, this is like my least favorite dress of hers. Because it's got these weird ruffles. And she's got this weird hat thing on her head. And I don't like it. And it's her final outfit. And I'm sad that I don't like it. This is the brown one, right? It's kind of yellowy brown, yeah. But the ruffles. Ugh. (laughs) And I'm not against ruffles. I just thought these ones were weird. Okay. Interesting. Um, we have another goodbye. Diana goes to say goodbye to Susanna, or as we've been calling her, not Sophie. Yeah. And Goody. And this scene is weird because Goody shows her a final knot. It's the tenth knot. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be a weaving of creation and destruction. Um, Goody knows it, but can't make it herself. Mm-hmm. So she shows it to her, but can't complete it. Mm-hmm. 
Diana has struggled so much with some of the other knots. How on earth is she going to be able to do this when she just saw somebody partially complete it? I, I know what happens, so I, I'm not saying anything. Okay. It just seems odd, that's all. Um, but now we know there's a, a tenth knot that not everybody can do. She gives Susanna the chess piece that will be passed down to Sophie and says goodbye and leaves. I, I was upset that she didn't give Goody a, a hug. When she said goodbye, because it looked like they both really wanted to, but there was no hug. Yeah. And I was like, why, why wouldn't you? Why? why? Like some sort of expression of love other than just, I will never forget you. Yeah. That would have been nice. Then we're back to present day with Peter Knox. But we see Satu for the first time since, what, episode one? Episode two, I think, because there was, we saw a brief glimpse of her in episode two. Okay. And even this is just a brief glimpse. She's like, hey, I'm back. You could use me. And Peter Knox is like, nah, fuck you. And Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what happened. And I, I really feel like he's uh, digging his own grave there, maybe a little bit, or at least pushing away potential allies. Yeah. I just don't think he cares anymore. He is so, like, into the search for power. Yeah. And she tells him, your arrogance is going to be your downfall, and he just leaves. And then we're quickly back to 1591, with Hubbard and dun dun dun, the return of Benjamin. <laughs> oh, that one hurt. <laughs> that sounded painful. <laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> so interestingly, in, interestingly enough, here. So people may remember that in the general lore of this world, mm-hmm. nobody knows Father Hubbard's origin story. He claims to have died and just like because of his desire to save people magically transformed into a vampire yeah he crawled his like way out of his own grave um but here we find out that benjamin created father hubbard my note here is literally "Ooh, benjamin made hubbard that's some book three shit right Um, and so he's using his position over Father Hubbard as leverage to get information about Diana. He demands to know this information, but we don't actually know what Father Hubbard tells him. But yeah. we assume that Father Hubbard probably tells him everything. Well, we've seen, we get less uh, like vampire family dynamics, I guess, in the show, because you know, there's just no time. But we have seen that there is certain dynamics between a sire and their children that I don't know if it's like a physical have to obey, but they all seem to obey mm. their sires. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. And then I think we're really quickly cutting back to modern day with Domenico again, Domenico. just sitting, waiting. Yeah. Seems I, to be I what he does best. wasn't sure. Was Domenico at his house here or was he like, did he figure out who the killer was? So he was waiting at the killer's house. Like, I'm not exactly sure where they were or what was happening here. I don't know where it is either. The best that I could guess would be that it was Marcus's house because he knows that there's a connection, but it didn't look really like Marcus's house. Yeah, and it was really dark. Yeah. Um, so Domenico's sitting there in the dark waiting. The vampire killer comes in with a hoodie. We don't know who he is, but I mean, Domenico... we know who he is. It's obvious. I don't think that's a spoiler. I'm pretty sure that's a spoiler. But like in, the, in episode seven, he killed the dude in the same way. We see him later. Mm, okay, maybe. Well, I can cut me out. That's fine. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I think you and I think it's two different people. So, cool. What? Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Domenico is all like, you, you took the portraits and you're killing humans. This has to have something to do with Matthew and Diana. You know, talk to me. We'll figure this out. Um, but of course, we, he attacks Domenico and runs I love without that, saying a word. I love that Domenico is so desperate for allies. He's willing to get this blood rage murderer on to be his ally also. Right. But he's arrogant enough to think that he can. Yeah. Well... Well, yes, arrogant, but also nobody has any idea what this blood rage vampire even wants. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he he does kind of severely attack Domenico, but doesn't kill him. He heals mm-hmm. and, you know, leaves. Then we cut back to Diana. And Saying goodbye to the book, her best friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Putting just... it back in the little hidey hole and she's struggling no, with the idea. She has it like on a on a table and she's just like looking at it. Oh, was that? Oh, yeah. No, it is. Okay. She she hit it earlier. This is yes. when she has to give it back to Galley Glass. Okay. I don't want to say she's stroking it, but maybe she was kind of stroking it, you know? Yeah. She does not want to leave that book behind. No. But, you know, her and Matthew do talk, and Matthew says, you know, we've done everything that we came here to do. Mm-hmm. We found the book. We know more about the book than we did when we got here. You have learned your magic. It is time to go. And they decide to time walk that very night. Yep. There's no reason to wait. And then Dan has a very emotional goodbye with Galaglass, and she gives him the book to return to Dr. D. And, like, I get that this is a show and they want us to be all emotional and stuff, but, like, he's an immortal vampire. You're going to see him when you get back. You know, you can yeah, just call him Yeah, but it's not going to be that Galaglass, though, right? It's going to be guess. 400 years older Galaglass. I guess. So... Um, I love that she tells him to keep the other Matthew safe for her so that <laughs> he makes it to come into her life yeah i like that uh the matthew and gala glass say goodbye but again even like even matthew should be even less emotional because like he knows he's gonna see him when he gets home he knows gala glass is still alive dan might not know yeah but it's still different it's still different all right all right um we get more goodbyes francois pierre and jack and this one is the sad one jack is crying he wants to stay with diana and matthew he doesn't want to go to henry percy's it's heartbreaking. It's, it is. It's all very sad. And they, they all, like, even Matthew is, d- like, heartbroken, the look on his face. Diana's crying. So they all do a little family hug and say goodbye. And Matthew says, I'm proud of you, Jack. And then yeah. when he's walking off, he says, be brave. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then the show ruins it by cutting it to Peter Knox's face. And we don't even need this scene. This scene is literally, he's oh. getting out of a car and looking at Sator. Sorry, and before that, though, we, cu- we cut to Domenico walking into a hotel, and oh, ho, ho, who is this watching him? Maybe he looks a little bit familiar, like someone we saw in 1591, is all I'm saying. You have those backwards. Do I? You do. Oh, fuck. We I, get, maybe, I guess, I guess yeah, the no, no, scene no. with Knox was so stupid to it me that I just skipped brief. right over it. It was so stupidly brief. It was him getting out of his car and looking at Sator in the, in, like, in the distance. That's it. And then we cut to make to, to Domenico going home, trying to cover up the blood, and Benjamin is watching him. And then we cut back to Peter Knox doing his oh, stuff. Oh, I just skipped that scene with Peter Knox then. Yeah, like I said, the show ruined it by showing us Peter Knox's ugly face. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to do that. I guess, um, I mean, as much as Domenico's a bit of a snake, he is better looking than Knox. So, yeah, that would have been better. Yeah, okay, fine. I didn't actually mean ugly face. I, I meant like internally ugly. Yes, <laughs> because I gotcha. he's so mean and evil. Um so yeah, Domenico goes home and Benjamin is watching him. 
And then we cut back to Peter Knox. Uh, He's going to that temple because he knows it's a place of power. Uh, He does a spell that gets M to come out. She wakes up and gathers all her supplies and comes out to do her spell to find Rebecca again. My note here is that I despise seeing Knox at this place where Diana was with with Philippe. Mm -hmm. And I hate him so much and I want to claw apart his stupid smug little face. Yeah. I hate this man. Yeah. The the rest of this episode is, is tough. Yeah. So she... M has gone out to the temple. Sarah wakes up, realizes that she's gone. Marcus comes out, um, and everybody thinks that he woke up because the baby's crying. And he's like, no, I heard the front door close or open or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And so then Sarah's like, well, where's M? I think having the crying baby, though, is smart because it does mean that the vampires wouldn't necessarily have picked up on her sneaking out. Yeah. So very smart. M does contact Rebecca, and Peter watches, which is awful. Ugh. It's just awful. Yeah. Like, because he gets this, like, all voyeuristic, like, stalker. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's Rebecca. Look, right? Yeah, and it's this, like, sweet scene because Em finally got her and was talking to her, and he's there ruining it. And I yeah. hate this man so much. Yes. Um. So he starts walking up. Rebecca warns Em that mm-hmm. she's in danger and that she needs to hide the page. So she magics the page away. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter uses magic to try and force her to bring it back. Yeah. And it sucks. Um, Sarah realizes where M is because all of her magic spells or her magic supplies are missing. So she runs out to find her. Isabeau realizes that someone powerful is there. She doesn't know that it's Peter, but she knows that it's a creature. Yeah. And then uh, the scene. So it's so we have the scene that the show was kind of stuck with. And it's really too bad that uh, Deborah Harkness gave us the uh, the barrier gaze trope. And it's it's really tough to watch this like white dude murder this black lady while she's like literally on her knees in front of him mm-hmm. but also I, I think they did the best that they could with what they had considering it had to be done and i like that they have M call him out on his bigotry and hate while he's doing it yeah absolutely she like flat out calls him a bigot yeah so they i mean they did the best they could with the yeah. scene and it is um, it is terrible and i love M so much but Peter kills her. Yeah. And Marcus tries to stop him from leaving. But Peter's magic is stronger than Marcus's, um, which is disappointing. And I don't know if it's actually stronger or if Marcus just doesn't really understand how to handle himself yet. I felt so bad for Marcus here. I think it's more likely that second one that, I mean, Peter is like a powerful witch. He's on the congregation. Like he's not Diana powerful, but he's powerful. And he's like fully competent in his capabilities. Marcus is a couple hundred years old, but he's, I think self-confidence is still a new thing for him. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's still a baby. Yeah. As a creature goes, I think. So he does at least, he, he gets Peter not to kill him because Marcus rightly tells him that if you do kill him on Declaremont land, you're going to start a war that you can't possibly win. Yeah. Um, and so Peter chooses not to kill him, but puts him to sleep instead, and he runs away. Marcus is going to feel so guilty and I feel yeah. so bad for him. Yeah. And then we get that scene that you have been waiting for since the previous, the, since the next up. <laughs> the scene last the episode. weirdest blocking of all time. It actually makes sense to me now watching it in context. Honestly, it does. Since they just sort of sat down to chat. Yes. They're just, they're sitting on the bed talking about leaving what they need to do. They're happy. And because they're happy in this conversation, they just lean forward to kiss. It makes sense in context. But it does look weird. They, they're, 
I don't know, even if you sat down to chat, I feel like maybe you wouldn't sit on opposite ends of the bed. No, I think I think some people would. All right. I buy it. I completely buy it. I do really so. like um, Matthew's line here when he says, uh, to be a husband and a father again, that's all I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. And I especially like, because it isn't clear if he's talking about Jack or Diana's pregnancy or both. You know, he doesn't... Oh, I completely assumed it was Jack. Or both. It's it's probably both, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, and then he tells her, let's go meet our future, and he shuts the door. Which is stupid. Walk. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, why would he get up and shut the door? Like, I get the whole imagery of, like, shutting the door on this portion of their life. Yes, that makes sense from a television point of view, but why wouldn't they both just stand up and time walk? Right? Who's going to see them? They're in <laughs> yeah. their house, and nobody else is in the house with them, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, so then we have a couple of quick cuts before the end. We see Jer Bear standing, looking out over Venice, as mm-hmm. he does. Um, Sarah is cradling M on the altar, crying because she's dead. Uh, the baby is safe in Sator with Nat and Sophie and Agatha, and Isabeau is just sitting at Philippe's desk waiting, and we cut to black. Yeah. I like that we ended on Isabeau. That was nice. Mm-hmm. And, oh, something I forgot. I le- Marcus gave this, like, almost throwaway line when he was running after Knox, and he told uh isabeau to protect the baby which i like that they put that in there because otherwise i would have just been like why didn't isabeau go after Knox? because she's powerful Mm. and old and stuff so that makes sense yeah especially ending with us seeing that the baby is still safe yeah yeah absolutely so that brings us to the end of season two and are the end of our time in the 16th century i'm so sad about that like i'm excited about season three especially Mm -hmm. since I think we're going to get it so much quicker than season two. I hope so. But I just, I'm going to miss the 16th century so much. I'm going to miss us being wrong about history. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. miss, uh, it's, I'm just going to miss it. Yeah, it was nice for sure. But I'm really excited about some stuff coming up next season, um, which we can't talk about just yet because we're not quite in the spoiler section yet. Right. So... If you want to hear our thoughts about season three, stay with us. If not, hopefully we'll see you in our wrap-up episode. So I have a question for you then. It sounds like you are thinking that the person who attacked Domenico was Benjamin. Yeah. Do you think it's Jack? Yeah. Oh. Because the killer's Jack. Is it? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not Benjamin? Mm Mm-mm. It's Jack. I forgot about that until this episode. So uh, in my book three read, I'm on chapter three. So they're still at Septur. So apparently <laughs> I've forgotten some things. Okay. It's okay. To be clear, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I am 99.9% sure that Benjamin Sires Jack, which is Hubbard, why he has Hubbard blood. Hubbard Sires Jack. Ah, right. Benjamin Hubbard Hire, Hubbard. Yeah. So that's why they're, the, the bloodline is still there. Um, Jack has blood rage. And yeah, Jack no, is the yeah. one who's killing everybody in London that Domenico has been tracking down. That's why they wouldn't show the face of Domenico's attacker, but they showed Benjamin watching him. That does make sense. So I'm 99.9% sure that was Jack. After you said you, we think it's different people, my brain was like, oh, maybe it is Jack. So... Mm. Yeah, I honestly, I had forgotten. I This whole season, I've been thinking that it's Benjamin until this episode. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, that's why it's going to break their hearts so much. Right. So. Then it must have been Marcus's house because that's that's what makes sense. Unless, unless 
uh, Domenico was like sniffing around as he does and just found the scent. Yeah, it could be either one, but it was so dark I, I couldn't tell. So God, it pisses me off that Galaglass didn't watch out for Jack. Why? <laughs> Whatever. I think they end up explaining that in the book. I hope because, so. Again, I'm on Matthew and Diana. Three. Yeah. Yeah. It's so full disclosure, I'm gonna reread book two before our wrap up episode, and then I'm gonna read book three before season three comes out so that I'm not as confused next season as I was this season. Um, but I feel like I remember very clearly, like Matthew and Diana are furious that Jack got turned and like, there's an explanation. Like, it's not a great explanation, but it's an explanation. I, I remember the explanation about why and how Jack got turned or mm, vaguely, I remember it, but why wasn't, why after he was turned, why didn't Galaglass go and get him, especially in the book? Because they were much better friends in the book than they were in the show. Like, because mm. spent so much more time with them. Yeah. Or we had so much more time to see what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm yeah. just like, why didn't you go and get him? Why? Mm. That's And fair. even if you didn't, like, take him to Septurus or something, you could have put got him out from Hubbard and Benjamin. And honestly, I don't have anything particularly against Hubbard, but that whole fucking thing. I, uh, I'm curious to see how they're going to spend it in the in the show. Yeah. Something else that they didn't do, actually, um, last episode, or they didn't go into it. I can see why how the scene worked out. They didn't want to. But when in the book, when Matthew drinks Diana's blood, he sees that she met Benjamin. And he obviously knows who Benjamin is. Mm. And they talk about Benjamin. So it's interesting that that didn't come yeah. up. Well, in the book, her dealings with Benjamin were more significant than just one random run-in, right? Well, it was one random run-in, but it they had a more significant conversation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I am excited about season three. Do you think they're going to give us Ghost Philippe and Ghost M? I kind of hope they don't just because they haven't done ghosts yet. So it would seem weird. You know, like, because we haven't gotten any of the other, like, the ghosts are all throughout the books. Mm. And so it would be. Did they not do any of the ghosts in the Bishop House? No. In season one? Or no. was it just visions? They, they, there was the visions and they had the house, like, act up, but they didn't have any of the they ghosts. They didn't have the ghosts. Okay. And they mm. didn't have the ghosts in the the pit, the thing that Diana gets dropped into. The oubliette. The oubliette, yes, thank you. The oubliette. Yeah, yeah. And she just, again, she just had a vision. Yeah. And in, in book two, there were some ghosts also, but they weren't okay. like important to the plot, but like yeah. Dana did see some. So I feel like if you haven't had the random setting up of ghosts, you're not, it's not going to land. It's not going to be any good. Well, they didn't give us the setting up of the pregnancy and they did that and they didn't give us the setting up of Benjamin and they did that. No, that's fair. But um, <laughs> they, I mean, they didn't give us the plot setting up of the pregnancy but they did give us like the thematic setting up of the pregnancy all right that's fair that's fair all right um just like a couple of other spoilery things that i wrote down i guess like when they have phoebe sitting in philippe's chair i assume that that is a nod to how i think it's isbo gives marcus and phoebe philippe's chair in marcus's old house at the end of times convert Mm. so i really liked that and i think when Diana and Galaglass say goodbye. Galaglass has a really good look on his face that seems like maybe he's just a little little more sad than he should be to say goodbye to Diana. Yeah. I couldn't remember if that stuff comes up in book two or if it was book three. Oh, it doesn't come up till book three. Till book three. Okay. 
Because it's after he spent his whole life watching her. Yeah. But yeah, I assume okay. it started here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, or that's... her whole life watching her, not his whole life. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, I guess Do... that's that's season two. Yeah, I guess everything else that we could talk about will be in the wrap-up episode. So yeah. we will do that soon. But if, yeah, if anybody has anything we want to talk about or you want us to talk about in the wrap-up, anything we missed addressing, if you want to tell us both to read the books more, you know. I will I will read the book before we get to the wrap-up episode. Hopefully I will finish book three by then also. Because usually our <laughs> wrap-ups are full spoilers. Yeah, absolutely. I say usually as if we've done more than one. But you know what I'm saying. Hey. One's a pattern. I mean, yeah. it's not, but it is if we say it is. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So we would love to know what you thought of the entirety of season two. You can tweet at us at Desire Made Real. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin, or you can email us, uh, DesireMadeRealPod at gmail.com. And I'm Andy Kay. You can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows, including my new one, Movie Fight Club, at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Or you can just give me a shout out on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there is a new beginning. You know, this episode would have been a really good episode for them to say that because they talked about because they talk about it so, so many times. Yes. And they still <sighs> didn't do it. It's like they hate us. Yeah. Like us it's, and you and me in particular. Right. Absolutely. It was directed at us.